individuals really blessed our church. They're no longer with us. Uh, they went to be with the Lord this past year. Um, and so I just wanted to honor and just give thanks to God for these individuals. Gail Barnes, uh, she was a sister that got involved at the center. She's a member at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. Um, she was actually uh, in our meetings where we were discussing, because we had a board that was running the center. And the center uh, was on Plum Street, and it was our storefront where we actually ran programs for the community. And she really helped us to organize and to utilize our resources. Our sister went to be with the Lord this past year, and uh, she meant a lot to us. We got to where we got to because of her support and her love, her guidance, um, and she really loved what God was doing in the city of Lancaster. And so I just want to thank her and her family, uh, you know, for um, just for her heart for God and her heart for the city. And so we've gotten far because of our sister and her guidance and even her leadership. Brother Dave Mott, um, this brother here, <laughs> he he came to us when we were uh, on Market Street and uh, he was just a bundle of like joy. If you knew Dave, like Dave was just always smiling, always you know, excited. And one of the things he told me that for his reasoning for coming to our church, because <clears throat> he's, he's a member at Westminster and he came to the city desiring to reach people with the gospel. And so we had some really long conversations about how uncomfortable it can be to try to fit in a setting that's not his own. But he came and he served. Uh, our internet system was set up by day for free. Um, it's, it's real complex. I, I don't even know how to deal with that thing, you know? And, and, but he did, he set it up and we had some really great conversations. Um, he was very supportive of us, very loving towards us. His family, his children, attend our church. Uh, Isaiah is here today. Brother, thank you so much for your family and for your love, man. We love you guys, and we miss Dave. Um, so I want to dedicate the service to them and thanking the Lord for their labors and for their love towards us. It's not often that we really get people like them that really have uh, quality skills and, and, and really a desire to support a work here in the city like they did. And so Let's pray for their families, and let's pray for our time together. Father, we thank you, and we ask that you'll be with us. We ask that your word will be proclaimed, and I thank you for Gail and for Dave. Father, for their labors, for their heart, we thank you that they're with you. God, that's where we want to be. And so we thank you that they went to be with you, and that there's really no doubt in our minds, oh God, that they belong to you and that they're with you. And so we thank you for the, vict the victory, God, over sin, death, hell, and the grave, that they are now in your presence, God, and we thank you that you have been favorable. We pray for their families, God. We pray for those still grieving, and we pray, God, that you will be with them. And so we thank you that uh, you have used them, even in their families, to bring people to saving faith. And so God, I just ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together, that in memory of them, Father, that you will be glorified today because you are good and you are God. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. praise God. You can put the screen up, sorry for that. So crazy. We'll get it right, you know what I'm saying? Maybe we'll get some, I don't know, we'll get that right, but. Today we are closing the book of James. We went through the, the book of James together from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5, and we are in the last two verses. Has James been encouraging? Yeah. Has it been hurting yeah. you a little bit? Yeah, ouch. There's been a lot of ouch sermons. Um, but that's okay. Uh, God's word is a sword. And sometimes it'll cut some food that'll taste good, and sometimes it'll cut you. That's what happens sometimes. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 uh, is our passage for today. Starting in verse 19. If someone can get me water, please, that'd be great. 
Starting in verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is your word. Father, may you glorify yourself in the preaching of the word and in the listening of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, one of the examples I was reminded of when I read this verse comes to us from Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we do see the heart of God for the lost. And that's an example that we see. Throughout scripture, you see this example of God really being preoccupied and desirous of those that are lost. Zacchaeus in Luke 19, a short, rich chief tax collector, sought Jesus who passed through Jericho. Zacchaeus then climbed the sycamore tree and he saw Jesus and Jesus, it says, saw him. Then Jesus said, hurry and come down from the sycamore tree for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down to Jesus and he received him, the Bible says, joyfully. Then there were critics. People that grumbled and said he has gone in. Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. How does somebody righteous do that? Thank you, brother. How does somebody righteous, you know, go into the house of a sinner? Jesus did that. But this sinner, actually, Zacchaeus, he showed repentance. And he said to Jesus, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded, if I've defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold, he says. Now look at Jesus' response in Luke 19, verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So the heart of God is to seek and save the lost. Can I get an amen? amen? Wake up, people. And this is not just the New Testament revelation of God. It was always the way God was. Some people think God was mean in the Old Testament. He's kind of nice in the New. No, God was always loving throughout Scripture. God's love is consistent. We see God's heart for the loss in the Old Testament. God's heart for the loss is the reason why Jesus came in the first place. And it's the reason why you believe today. It's because he loved you. We all were lost. We all were sinners in rebellion with God. And the scriptures are clear that we all were totally and absolutely depraved. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's us. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 For they are folly to him, for, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's us. Romans 3.10-11 As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. That's you. That's me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I can keep going, saints. Even Isaiah understood this. Isaiah 64, 6. For those of us who went through Isaiah. Isaiah says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. This is who we are. 
which is descriptive of our condition before God, which is the reason why God has to see. In the visible church, we also may have, you know, this case where you have someone in the church who only acknowledges the truth without possession of the truth. In other words, we have people in the church that know the gospel, but don't possess the gospel. That could happen in the church we are in. And there could be people believing that they're redeemed when they still need the gospel. There could also be genuine born-again believers in the church that stray and wander from the truth. You ever been there? That could happen. In either case, when one strays from what is true, it should be in the heart of those who remain to seek after them. We've had a plague in the church where people think them so self-righteous that they can't think of themselves as coming under or supporting someone who's just going through a season of sin. It's just the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I've been a victim of that. Being young and dumb, as we say. Wrestling with my desires as a young man. Seeking after the world, seeking after my pleasures. Being torn in my heart because I love Jesus, but my flesh loved the world. And then people in a church was like, Los, Los the preacher? Lowe's the worship leader. Lowe's the Bible study teacher. How's he out there again? Well, they forget that Lowe's is a sinner. Lowe's needs Jesus still. And Lowe's ain't got it together. You know what we should do when people stray? We should pray for them. And we should be ready to bring them back because that is the heart of God. And James wants to end his letter with this in mind. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Redemption is a greater work even than creation. And especially when we consider the way in which God has achieved it, even though the sending of his only begotten son into this world and all the marvel and the wonder and the miracle of the incarnation, but above all in delivering him up to death upon the cross, this is the supreme thing, that sinful Fallen man can be redeemed and restored, and ultimately the whole creation also. <laughs> this is the heart of God, and I believe this is what James is saying in our text. He wants to leave scattered and persecuted believers with the very heart of God for those wandering from the truth. So our outline for today, saints, number one, just two points, seeking the wandering soul. Verse 19, seeking the wandering soul. Verse 19, saving the wandering soul in verse 20. Saving the wandering soul in verse 20. Seeking the wandering soul in verse 19, my brothers, if Anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Again, that is, it's going to continue into verse 20. But one thing that we have to remember is that he calls them my brothers. Remember that? So that this, this is a pattern in James, as we noted before, that James addresses his audience, not just as believers, but as brothers. And in some cases, beloved brothers. So if you remember this term, brothers was not limited to men. This was an overall address to both male and female uh, in scripture, in the church. And so to call believers brothers was to communicate compassion and love for those he considered family. And it was because of their present sufferings that James wanted to bring comfort and care to their soul. Remember James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James 1.16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That one hurt. 
That was a good one. A lot of people were like, man, I can't wait till James is over after that one. <laughs> James 2.1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James 2.5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? He was concerned that the church was becoming about the rich and not taking care of the poor. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James 3.10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things are not to be so. Watch what you say. It matters. James 3.12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And then James 5.12, but above all, he says, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. My brothers, he's saying, my family is how he addressed the people of God. You see, do you see James's heart? The pastoral heart he had for people? He could have said, yo, my students, uh, my congregation, those of y'all who are beneath me because I'm a pastor. He didn't say that. He said, my brothers, with compassion. And it's with compassion, love, and care that James says, if someone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins, as the NLT puts it. So James speaks of someone among them inside or in union with them. He says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, from among you, in union with you, those then who would wander from the faith. So this isn't someone outside. It's speaking of someone who is inside. This is speaking of someone who is numbered among them, as the Septuagint uses the word. Can somebody give me some tissue, please? What this means is that someone within the numbered in the church can wander from the truth. Wandering here is meant to say someone who no longer believes what is true. Someone who moves about without purpose. Okay? Thank you, brother. Someone who wanders from the truth is someone who can be seduced or has been seduced. The reality is anyone among us can wander. Have you wandered before? Knowing what's true and you leave what is true to go do you. Anyone can get to the point of no longer believing the truth. Because it's not just so much that, because I know people that leave the church and say, yeah, I still believe in God, but I can't, I, I can't live up to those standards. Anyone. Anyone can move from the truth and go into a life without true purpose. Anyone can be seduced from what is true. That is why it is by grace that we are saved. That is why it's by grace we are preserved. If you're here and you've been here, it's not because, yeah, you know, I know what to do. I, I you know, yeah, like I got this. No, he got you. He got you. Because if it was up to me, I'd be done with y'all. And, and you will be done with me. Because church life ain't easy. When you have genuine, authentic Christian faith and community, it, it's not promising you roses and everything smells good all the time. Especially if, nah, I'm not going to talk about that. I'll leave that there. It's by grace. It's by grace that we're here. By grace that we're preserved. And when we wander, it is by grace that we are brought back. So what truth is James talking about here that a person can actually be seduced from? 
I believe he's speaking of the word of truth that he talked about in James 1, verse 18. In James 1, verse 18, he says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James is speaking of someone who has heard the truth and has wandered from it. Someone numbered among them who has been seduced. Someone who has gotten to the point of no longer believing the truth. Someone who was in visible fellowship with them who no longer believes, who has been seduced from community, from the scriptures. The truth being the word of truth, the gospel. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 1.13 when he talked about the word of truth. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, Ephesians 1.13, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul also talking to the Colossian church in Colossians 1.5 spoke of them of having heard the word of truth, which he talked about as being the gospel. He also told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to rightly handle the word of truth, the gospel. The word of truth here is clearly the gospel that brings forth life to those in need of salvation. So he's telling them, James is telling them that a person numbered among them can be seduced from the gospel. But can this happen to a genuine believer in Jesus Christ? Thank you. I need all the, listen. <laughs> I need all that. I'm not sick, y'all. It's just allergies or something's happening right now. Keep a brother in prayer right now. But here's a question I need y'all to think about. Can this happen really to a genuine believer in Jesus Christ? Can a genuine believer in Jesus Christ stray from the gospel? I, I would say yes. But it doesn't mean that that person loses their salvation. But rather that they have been seduced. A genuine born-again believer can be seduced. <laughs> Remember the Galatian churches? Y'all are like, what? You need to read Galatians. <laughs> Paul even said, even regretted that he had worked there. He was, was my labor in vain, he says, because he left for another gospel. It wasn't just one church or two. It was many churches that bought into another gospel. What about Peter? Same book, Galatians 2. Paul had to confront Peter and be like, yo, you're tripping. You're leaving the Gentiles to go be with the Jews and acting like the Gentiles can't be saved. That's a gospel issue. A genuine born-again believer can be seduced, meaning that they can wander from what is true. I understand that because of how God explains soteriology in Scripture. What I understand the Bible teaching is that once you're saved, he's going to preserve you. But it doesn't mean that you can't be seduced. Can a born-again believer struggle with their faith and have a season of wrestling with unbelief? Yes. Been there. But thankfully... The comforting thing is that we have explicit passages in the Bible where God got you. Amen. He has you. John 10, 27 through 29. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them, he says, eternal life and they will never perish. Amen. Never means never, y'all. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You ain't bigger than God. You can't slap the hand of God and God will lose one. He continues to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. You can't slap the hand of Christ and you can't slap the hand of the father and lose one. Yeah, you end up smacking yourself. That's a good word. 
James is talking about someone who was numbered among them who strays from the gospel, which a genuine believer can do, but I believe they cannot do this life long. I couldn't do it. I even moved out of town. I did ministry. I did gospel hip-hop ministry, which is public ministry. We hit the streets. We hit Water Street. We hit Prince Street. We hit all of the city of Lancaster. We even did shows uh, in ministry venues in Philadelphia, New York, uh, New Jersey. I did all that and found myself at a place where I could not break free from my sin. And so because I made a public profession the way I did in the streets and in the church, I tried to do me by moving out of town to a place where nobody knew me. And I sought sin. I sought to get away from the Lord. But he didn't let go of me. I remember being in the corner. I was uh, living with a drug dealer at the time. And I wanted to do weed and all that again. For some reason, God stopped it all. And I was in the corner because God kept convicting me. And I got tired of conviction. I'm like, God, let me go. I'm done. And I remember the word where he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I was in a fetal position wanting God to leave me. And he would not let me go. I tried, saints. I tried to wander to the point of falling, but God will not let me go. A genuine born-again believer can be seduced, but ultimately will not be destroyed. Nonetheless, if someone who is numbered in the church is seduced from what is true, listen, there should be a need in those who remain to bring them back. There should be a seeking after those who are left here in the church to go after someone who has left the church. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, bring them back to what? Not to ministry. Not to kafia. Not to Sunday service. Back to the gospel. They need Jesus. They need the Lord. And that's why... How you live matters. That's not even in my notes right now. I'm just thinking about that because the last thing somebody needs is a compromised life that tells them they need to be made right before God. Don't do it. But what are some ways we can seek after and bring someone back from wandering? Well, number one, prayer. Prayer is how you can bring someone back. Ephesians 6, 15 through 18 talks about this. He says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Have you been praying for those that have strayed? Because God is the only one who can turn their hearts to him. Avoid temptation, meaning yourself, of making what they are going through an intellectual issue. Their problem isn't intellectual, it's spiritual and moral. We at times try to make arguments to convince people without prayer. Right. Right. Alistair Bake said, prayer is part of the weaponry that God provides for his soldiers. They need their hearts turned. They don't need their minds convinced. They need a heart change, and only God can do that. Now, don't get it twisted. I love apologetics and polemics. I'm all about that. If you send me out to the street and I run to a black Hebrew Israelite or someone in the nation of Islam, I don't even know if they're around anymore. Like, let's get it in. Let's talk. Let's chop. But in the back of my mind, while I'm conversating with people like that, it's prayer. I'm pleading with the Lord to have mercy because my mouth will not save anyone. And my arguments can't tear down a stony heart. It's only by the grace of God. Amen. So prayer is a good way to bring someone back from wandering from the truth. The second thing, know the truth and share it. Mm -hmm. Know the truth and share it. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. Is the gospel clear to you? Do you know the gospel? 
Are you well acquainted with the truth? And this is another one here. Have you been convinced of the truth? It's, you know, okay, you got the theology right, but is your heart convinced? Do you care? Have you cared about your own pursuit of the truth enough to share it? Is the Bible the ultimate authority over your own life? Or is it only useful when you need something? Know the truth and share it. Know it intimately. The last thing that will help you to bring someone back from wandering, seeking those who have wandered from the truth. Yeah, sister so-and-so don't come to church anymore. Well, when did you call sister so-and-so? When did you seek those who have wandered from the faith? Because that's the heart of God. God sought us. We've all, like Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's the heart of God to seek the lost. Matthew 18, 10 through 14 See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think, Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? <laughs> and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over ninety-nine that never went astray. Then he says in verse 14, so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus is telling believers that, or James is telling believers that someone who wanders from the truth should be sought after for their sake. Now, wandering does not mean an overt refusal to repent. It means that someone has been seduced. There's a difference. I don't think James is talking about open rebellion and someone who's overtly coming against the church. He's talking about someone who's fallen victim to seduction. James tells the church to treat someone who refuses to repent as a tax collector. There are people in the church who, when they don't repent and are confronted with their sin, that should be Treated as an outsider. Matthew 18 is very clear. Then there are those, Titus 3.10, as for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's why if somebody comes to our church and tries to split our church or cause division in our church, I tell them once, don't come here and start trouble. And if they continue to start trouble and continue to cause division, have nothing more to do with them. You're no longer welcomed here. But this is not those who have wandered. Someone who has wandered is someone who has been seduced from the truth and needs to be sought after. They are lost because they have wandered. But the wandering is serious enough that James includes includes in verse 20 what they should be saved from if brought back, which is our second and last point, saving the wandering soul in verse 20. He says in verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is James' final exhortation. He gives his brothers and sisters of faith the result of someone who was brought back from wandering. James tells them what happens when they bring back a sinner from his wandering. To bring someone back is to return someone where they had been before. In context, James is talking about bringing someone back to the truth. So there can be two people that are brought back. Number one, a born-again believer who strays and needs to be restored. And number two, a person who believes rightly about the things of God, but does not have genuine faith. So if a person is seduced into believing things contrary to the truth, they will eventually show it in what they do, sadly. 
A life that has wandered from the truth, listen, will bear fruit. It'll bear fruit. I've seen it. I have personal friends that I worshiped with, um, taught Bible studies with, did ministry with, that no longer serve Jesus. And they tell you that. I can't believe in this Jesus thing anymore. I sat down with a brother once who, <laughs> he did kids ministry. All passionate, man. Prayed with many people. Work in the church. Very committed. Fell away. I sat down with him for lunch. And all he did was mock my faith. He laughed in my face and said, why do you still believe what you believe? And I looked back at him and I said, bro, I believe more now than I did back then. But don't, don't try me. <laughs> let's, let's have some lunch. Don't, don't, don't try it because I got you. I know deep down inside you believe. Unbelievers believe. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but the Bible says a fool says in his heart there is no God. They're fools because they know there is a God. They know there's a God. He knows there's a God. And so even those that wander know that there's a God. So if a person is seduced into believing things contrary to the truth, they will eventually show it. If they are truly born again, they will be brought back into the fold of God. And you know what? God could use you to bring them back. He could use you. A life that has been restored to the truth will bear much fruit. If a person who was counted in a visible church and has only an assent to write information about God and is not born again, they will also show they're wandering by how they live. They will prove that they were never of faith in the first place. God could bring them back to the point of saving them ultimately. And God could use us to bring them to the truth. And when one strays from the truth, whether they're born again or not, it's important to remember that there are sins that lead to death and others that do not. Why is this important to highlight? Well, because some who believe in perseverance of the saints may want to know that one who has genuine faith can wander and can eventually die because of disobedience. Okay? Uh, yes, I'm, I am reformed. I believe you cannot lose your salvation. But it doesn't mean you can go out there and live however you want. Because I know people that have done it and then have lifelong circumstances that take place in our lives as a result. We're not exempt from the consequences of sin. But thanks be to God that what we do, God is a restorer. He does restore. But it doesn't mean that we won't be affected by our choices. We may not ultimately die, but we could, we could die as a result of disobedient choices. I've seen it happen. And you may want to remember that a life born of God does not make a practice of sinning. It's very clear. There are sins that lead to death and others that do not. 1 John 16, 18 says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So the born-again believer who is genuinely converted will eventually come back to the truth, which means that they will not ultimately be destroyed to God be the glory. Amen. There was a point in my Christian walk where I thought I wasn't saved. Because I knew what the scripture said. You can't make a practice of sinning. 
And here I was practicing sin. Here I was wrestling with my sin. Here I was wanting to break free, but not being able to break free. I go to church, man, and it hurt every sermon. And all of a sudden, I, I went from sitting in the front to sitting in the middle, sitting in the back. Barely, like, getting to church because my life was a wreck and sin. But like I said, a believer can wander and be seduced, but only for a season. Because they will not keep on sinning. No one, 1 John 3, 9, born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So there's two kinds of people in the world, two kinds of people here in the church. There are sinners saved by grace, and there are sinners in need of grace. Which one are you today? One can stray from the truth and need restored. Not for salvation, but for fellowship. And the other can stray from the truth and need salvation and then brought back to the truth that they acknowledge. In either case, we should have a sense of urgency. And bringing someone back to the truth because you can literally save their life. Their soul could be saved from death. James talks about the soul or the breath, the spirit will be saved from death. Death is when life with the father and the son is not attained. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So someone who wanders from the truth and sins is in danger of the soul facing no life with the Father and the Son. Do you see why James was saved this for last in his letter? This makes sense since James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, is ending his letter with a pastoral concern for their soul. James is leaving the most important exhortation for last because when persecuted and saints that are going through many trials, their trials and their wavering of their faith could have caused them to struggle to remain faithful. They may have even left fellowship, but the sense of urgency for the church should remain for those who have wandered from the truth. When someone strays, seek them out. Pray for them. Cling to what is true. Share in a convinced way. Not only will their soul be spared from death, but James says their sins will be covered. A multitude of sins would be covered. When James speaks of covering, he's talking about to cover, meaning causing someone or something to be covered to the point of not being able to be seen no longer. Now, this doesn't mean hiding sin, but what it means is that your sins are no longer accounted for condemnation. Amen. This is what happens when a sinner is brought back from their wandering. A multitude of sins is covered from the wrath of God. Multitude here meaning a great amount of sins. Have you had a great amount of sins in your life? Well, listen, if, if you even committed one, that's enough. James is talking about a multitude being covered. And this is nothing new. First Peter 4, 8. Peter also talked about this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Psalm 32, 1, which I believe both Peter and James had in mind. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Then in verse 5 of Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you, talking to God, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the heart of God. We live in a time where many people are falling away. Some people are calling it the great deconstruction of the Christian faith. I just got news that uh, I can't say too much, but there's a well-known leader in a denomination that just recently resigned from their position. 
They left everything, their career, everything, on the basis that they no longer can believe what they believed. This was a high position in a denomination. And they said, well, I uh, heard that they might even want to be a lawyer now. This is happening, saints. Young people today are deconstructing their faith to the point of defecting from it. Many are seduced from the truth because, really, of the passions of the flesh. Augustine says, sin is believing the lie that you are self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained. So it's always been the case that the fastest growing religion in the world is selfism. It's the religion of you. Where you're on the throne and the queen of that throne is pleasure. I believe, this is why James is ending this letter this way. Without truth, the gospel, wandering from it will only lead to a life of sin. And James is telling believers that when someone wanders away from the truth and is brought back, whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Saints, let's not be a self-righteous church. We're not better than anybody else. Man, listen, we're trying to do announcements right. Me, I miscommunicate with Wayne constantly. God's given him great patience. <laughs> We're a church trying to get it together, trying to be faithful. The last thing I want our church to be is a self-righteous church. Yeah, when someone's out there struggling, wandering and seduced, that we would just be like, oh, you know what? We shouldn't even talk about that person anymore. Or look at them a certain way. No, saints, be eager to restore and to bring them back. For God has done that for you. Love covers a multitude of sins. You know what? God is love and he seeks to restore and save the lost in need of truth. May that be our heart today. I pray, and you know what? Dave Mott and our sister Gail Barnes, that's why they supported this church. We're in the city, and we're eager to see people come to saving faith. And we're going to have people in our church that stray and wander from the truth. We need to remain faithful to love them and to be ready to give them an answer. So, Lord, help us. Let us pray together. Father, will you help us? Help us to have your heart. We need your heart. Our city needs you. We have people in the street, Lord God, that have not come to saving faith. We have families that are broken. Some of us have come out of these situations, and we know what brokenness looks like. Lord, would you help us to have your heart? God, with every block party, with every time of fellowship, with every Christmas outreach, God, give us your heart. Give us, Lord God, the means to be able to be compassionate to those in need. Deliver us from being self-righteous. Deliver us from being self-preserved. Deliver us from self. We need you. May we have the heart of John the Baptist who said, may you increase as we decrease. Be with us today. May our church this year go out and care for those who have wandered from the truth. Preserve us from this season where many are falling away. Many are no longer believing. Many are no longer convinced, they're tired. They feel like hypocrites. They feel like the Christian faith isn't it. Lord, the only reason why we're still here is because you preserved us. Continue to preserve us this year. 
And not only to survive, but to thrive. To go beyond temptation and to go into growth. To go into growing out of temptation. And not falling into it. Would you help us? I pray for our young people, for our teenagers, Lord. I pray for our preteens, Lord God. Will you preserve them from the public school system that's seeking, Lord God, to brainwash? That's seeking to take them out. God, will you preserve them? Will you bring a generation of faithfulness, of zeal, Lord God, that they would be preserved, Lord God, that they would rise, Lord God, and be a nation, a royal priesthood to your glory. Preserve teenagers, preteens. I pray for our young adults, Lord God. I thank you for our young adults. I thank you for those who are striving to be more like you. I thank you for the imperfections that are there because in them, though they are weak, you are made strong. And so, God, will you help them to be zealous for you? Preserve them, Lord God. In times of loneliness, if they're not married, God, will you preserve them? Let them know that they are in covenant with you. They are married to you. That they will be, Lord God, convinced of their union with you. And I pray for those of us old heads, Lord God, for those of us who have been in it long enough to know, Lord God, the seasons and the times where the heart can wander and our minds, Lord God, can be distracted. God, would you help us to remain youthful in our desire for you? God, will you give us a greater devotion for you? God, may we not tire of pursuing you. Lord God, may we continue to even grow in our faith and knowledge and our desire of you. We can never reach a point of no longer needing you. We always need you. Preserve us as well. We ask this for our church.